At this time, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 39. That will be the sermon text for today. And then also, we will read from 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. That will be the New Testament reading for today. Exodus chapter 39, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Exodus 39, 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and the scarlet yarns, and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for, made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces, joined to it at its two edges, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it, and made like it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linens, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones, enclosed in settings of gold filigree, and engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses." He made the breastpiece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was square. They made the breastpiece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardis, sardius, topaz, and carbuncle was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agite, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the two breastpiece of the breastpiece rather on its inside edge next to the ephod and they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod and they bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment, with a binding around the opening, so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, 
They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen and the sash of fine twined linen and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered, embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holy to the Lord. And they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set, and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Let us go now to 1 Timothy 2 and read verses 1 through 6. Paul, writing to Timothy, the pastor, encouraging him to encourage the congregation to do these things, he says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul is here telling Timothy, the church needs to pray. The church needs to be a house of prayer. And prayers are to be offered up for all people, all kinds of people, even for kings, for those who are in authority, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I continue to quote now, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is to be interpreted in light of what has just been said. All kinds of people, even kings in high positions. I continue. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, 
which is the testimony given at the proper time. This now, the reading of God's most holy word, may he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. The sermons that I have preached on Exodus chapters 35 and following have been a little unusual. Instead of moving slowly through these texts to consider the details, I've stepped stepped back from these texts to consider the Sabbath, the tabernacle and its furnishings, theologically. We considered these things in detail when they were first mentioned in Exodus 25 through 31. But in this repetitive portion of Exodus, where the actual building of the tabernacle is described to us, I've taken the opportunity to do what is called biblical theology. In biblical theology, we identify themes in Scripture and trace their development in individual books and even throughout the whole of Scripture. This we have done with the theme of Sabbath. This we have done with the theme of the tabernacle, even considering all of its parts, its furnishings. And today we will do this very same thing with the priesthood. With each theme, I've attempted to demonstrate that they find their fulfillment in Christ and in His finished work and His eternal reward. Christ is our eternal Sabbath rest. Christ is the tabernacle or temple of God. Through faith in Him, we come into the presence of God. We enter into the new heavens and new earth through Christ the temple. And so, in previous sermons, we have considered the gospel of the Sabbath, the gospel of the tabernacle, the gospel of the ark, the gospel of the table and lampstand, and the gospel of the courtyard, along with the gospel of the altar of burnt offering and the bronze laver. Uh, These have been the titles of previous sermons. But today's sermon is entitled, The Gospel of the Priesthood. Here, in Exodus 39, we are told about the making of the garments for the priests of Old Covenant Israel. These priests were of the tribe of Levi. Aaron was the first high priest. All others descended from him. And we know that these men were set apart to minister in the tabernacle and later the temple. They ministered on behalf of the people and before God. They functioned, listen carefully to this, they functioned as mediators or middlemen. Having been washed with the water of the laver, they ministered daily at the altar of burnt offering in the courtyard daily at the altar of incense in the holy place, and once a year before the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Here in this text, we are told about the making of their garments. In fact, before we come to uh, the consideration of the priesthood specifically, I would like to say a word about Exodus 39, 32-43. This portion of the text brings this entire section, which began at 35, To a conclusion. There we read Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Uh, This reminds us of the instructions that were given to Moses on the mount, the mountain, back in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. God told Israel to do this, and they did it. 
That's the point, and you heard that point emphasized as I read this whole passage this morning. After this, we are told in 39.33 that they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all of its fittings and furnishings. In 39.41, we are told that they also brought before Moses these finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. I wonder if you could picture the scene. Picture the scene, please. After all of the construction work was done in the making of the tabernacle, its fittings and furnishings, along with the priestly garments, the people brought their finished work to present it to Moses. We're not told exactly how long it took them to make all of these things, but the people brought in their offerings for the building up of the tabernacle, and the skilled people went about the work to build this tabernacle and all of its furnishings, even the garments for the priesthood. And when it was all done, what did they do? They gathered it together and they came to bring it before Moses, the man of God, the prophet of God. The work was conducted according to the pattern of the Sabbath, remember? It was stressed in 35, 1-3 that the tabernacle was to be built according to the pattern of the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath day was not to be violated. Work was to be done for six days and there was to be rest and worship and a holy assembling on the seventh day. 35.2 says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Uh, the Sabbath has been mentioned many times in our study of the book of Exodus, but here it's mentioned in the context of the building up of the tabernacle. You're to make this tabernacle, God says to the people of Israel through Moses, but even, even this work is not to be done on the Sabbath day. You are to build it according to the pattern of the Sabbath, six days and one, six days and one. So then uh, we see that the people of Israel did this. And I, I wonder if you can see why I am stressing this point about the Sabbath now. I'll try to make it clear at this time. I've tried to convince you in previous sermons that the tabernacle of Old Covenant Israel was a little miniature replica of the heavens and earth. Do you remember that? This tabernacle was a little miniature replica of everything that God made in the beginning. The heavens above, the heaven where God dwells, the heavens where the sun, moon, and stars reside, and the earth with its mountains, its dry land, its seas. When Israel constructed the tabernacle, they were in fact mimicking God's work of creation, therefore. In imitation of God and according to His command, they made a little replica of the heavenly realm where God manifests His glory before the angels, of the heavens above where the sun, moon, and stars reside, and the earth with its dry land, mountains, and seas. Israel, in imitation of their Maker and in obedience to His command, worked six days and rested on the seventh. And when the work was done, what did they do? They brought it before Moses, the man of God, to see, to inspect. Moses inspected uh, the work of the building up of the tabernacle. Listen carefully to verse 43 of Exodus 39 to see if it reminds you of another famous text in Scripture. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. Students of the Bible have long noticed that Exodus 39, 43 
sounds a lot like Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3. And God saw everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all His work that He had done in creation. The point that I am making here is that uh, the passage we are considering today, Genesis 39-43 in particular, uh, echoes uh, Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 as it pertains to the finishing of, of, the, of the work of creation that God did. God created the heavens and earth and all that is within it. In six days He rested on the seventh. He said, it is good, and He blessed the seventh day. And after Israel built the tabernacle according to God's design, they finished the work of it according to God's command. They brought it to Moses, and Moses says, it's good. It has been done according to the command of God. And God blessed, and Moses blessed them, Exodus 39.43 says. This observation, though it is a bit of a tangent from our main point today, certainly reinforces all that has been said before about the tabernacle being a replica of the original creation and even of Eden. It is a bit of a side note, but really it does pertain, but you might have to put the pieces together in your own mind as we go I've briefly addressed Exodus 39, 32-42 so that we might return to our main question for today. And it is this. Why the priesthood? Why the priesthood? It is one thing to know the facts about the priesthood of the Old Covenant. It is good to know who the priests were. They were of the tribe of Levi. It's good to know what they wore. They wore these garments that were constructed according to the pattern shown to Moses on the mountain. You should be able to Think about the, the pieces of their garments. I, I, in fact, showed you pictures of them before in previous sermons. So the details are very important. It's good to know what the priests did. Again, having been washed with the water of the laver, they ministered daily at the altar of burnt offerings in the courtyard, daily at the altar of incense in the holy place, and once a year before the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. But my question is this, why? Why the priesthood? This priesthood, the priests of Levi, the Aaronic priesthood, did not exist prior to this moment. You understand that, don't you? So that for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people who walked on this earth, God's people in the days even of Adam, in the days of Enoch, in the days of Abraham, did not worship God through this priesthood. The priesthood had not yet been given, but here the priesthood is added in the days of Moses along with the covenant that was made in those days, and along with the laws which govern their worship. The question is this, why the priesthood? Why would God do this? Why would He command this? Why did He institute the Aaronic priesthood? Sometimes, it's, sometimes we fail to ask these why questions. They're actually the most important questions, aren't they? Why this? And I suppose the most basic answer to this question is that these priests were appointed to minister in the tabernacle so that the people might approach God in worship according to the means that God had appointed under the Old Covenant. That's the most basic answer. God commanded that Israel worship at this tabernacle and in this way, and the priests were to serve. They were to serve God, they were to serve the people to make sure that worship was conducted according to God's 
commandment under the old covenant. But when I ask why, I'm asking something more than this. I'm wanting to know what the presence of the priests communicated concerning God's plan of redemption. In brief, the answer is this. God gave old covenant Israel, the Levitical priesthood, to communicate in a symbolic way that the way to the forgiveness of sins, to full reconciliation with God, and into the new heavens and earth would be opened up by a priestly mediator, Christ the Lord. That was what the priesthood of old covenant Israel communicated ultimately in a symbolic way. Stated differently. Well, on the most basic level, the Levitical priests were in fact used by God under the Old Covenant to administer the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God on earth as the worshipers came to worship at the tabernacle according to the terms of the Old Covenant. The Levitical priests could not, in and of themselves, provide for the forgiveness of sins to the cleansing of the conscience, nor could they reconcile sinners to God fully, nor bring sinners into the eternal presence of God in the new heavens and earth forever and ever. Only Christ, only Christ, the mediator and high priest of the new covenant can do that. And I am saying that the priests of the old covenant, while they had an important job to do under the old covenant, I am not demeaning that work, The priests of the Old Covenant anticipated Christ. They anticipated Him. They proclaimed Him. They foreshadowed Jesus Christ, who is God's great prophet, priest, and king. In just a moment, we will consider how the priests of the Old Covenant, and especially the high priest, proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ in a symbolic way. But before we go there, I would like to show you three ways in which the book of Exodus itself communicates that the priests of the Old Covenant could not themselves provide for the true forgiveness of sins, nor bring about full reconciliation with God, leading to life eternal in the new heavens and earth. The book of Exodus itself, even in this immediate context, communicates the limitations of the Levitical priesthood. The book of Exodus itself communicates the limitations of the priests and of the sacrifices that they offered up at at this altar and at this tabernacle. I have three observations. More could probably be made. One, consider that the Old Covenant priests themselves were sinful men in need of cleansing. They needed atonement. They needed imputed righteousness. In other words, they themselves were in need of a Savior. They could not, therefore, be the Savior. Remember, the priests had to be washed with the water of the laver. When the high priest entered the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, he had to take blood, blood to atone, not only for the sins of the people, but also for for his own sins. And why were the high priests clothed, um, the priests and the high priests, clothed in these elaborate garments for glory and beauty? Why were they clothed like this? Answer, for many reasons. We'll consider some of them later. But one of them being 
to cover their sin and to, and to signify the imputed righteousness of Christ. God clothed the priests. Just as God graciously clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins after their fall into sin, so too He clothed His priests with garments for glory and beauty. And do not forget the episode involving Aaron when he led the people in the worship of the golden calf. Why was that story told to us? Again, for many reasons. But I think one very important point was made at that moment. Aaron, as good as he was and as useful as he was within God's plan, was not the Messiah. Aaron, though he is high priest under the Old Covenant, he is not God's high priest. He is not the Messiah, the only mediator between God and man. You see, um, this just came to mind. Uh, Moses himself will stumble and he will die outside of the promised land. He will not be permitted to enter in. What is that about? It is about many things, of course, but I think one important thing communicated by that episode is that Moses is not the Messiah. Moses is not the Savior. As great as Moses was, he would not be the one to lead God's people into the promised land, nor the thing of which the promised land was a sign, namely the eternal heavens and earth. So we must not forget about these things. We must not forget about Aaron's failings. He was a flawed man in need of redemption himself, in need of salvation himself. He was tainted by sin. He needed the cleansing of sin. Therefore, he could not be the Savior. The old covenant priests themselves were sinful men in need of cleansing, atonement, and imputed righteousness. I think that is important to see. They could not, therefore, themselves provide Full redemption, the cleansing of the consciences of human beings, nor access into the presence of God in the new heavens and new earth. But they did point to Him. They did point to the one who could, as we will see. Two, consider that the old covenant priests of Israel ministered on earth and with earthly things. They did not minister before God in heaven, as Christ does now. They ministered on earth. The blood they offered was animal blood. And we know that animal blood cannot atone for the sins of man to the cleansing of the conscience. They were purified in a fleshly way through the washing of the body with water. But we know that water cannot cleanse the soul. The priests and their administration could not provide for the true forgiveness of sins, nor bring about full reconciliation with God, leading to life eternal in the new heavens and new earth. But they did point forward to the one who could, as we will soon see. Three, the book of Exodus itself does communicate the limitations of the tabernacle and the priests who serve there. And it does so in many ways. Consider again the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Yes, provision was made for the high priest to enter the holy of holies once a year, but not without animal blood. Certainly the message was this. The way to reconciliation with God is not opened wide by this tabernacle by these sacrifices, nor by this priesthood. And would you turn with me to Exodus 40, verse 34. It's only one page over, most likely, in your Bibles. Exodus 40, verse 34. Before this verse, we are told about the tabernacle being set up by Israel. And in verse 34 of chapter 40, we read, 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We will consider this text in detail next Sunday, Lord willing, but here is the point for today. Moses was not able to enter. Moses was not able to enter. This is the thing that is in fact stressed at the conclusion of this whole section of Scripture. The tabernacle is built. Moses blesses the people as they bring the parts of it to him to show him. It is filled, it is, it is set up and filled with the glory of God. But what does the book of Exodus say? Don't enter. Don't come near Moses. Don't come near. And certainly the point is this. This tabernacle uh, did not provide uh, for the entrance of eternal life in the presence of God unhindered. There is limitation here. Moses was not able to enter. So, what, so which is it, we might ask? Did the tabernacle, Moses and the priests of the Old Covenant, make a way for sinners to come before God in worship and to enter into His presence, or not? Which is it? The answer is yes and no. Yes, in an earthly, partial, and temporary way, but not in a heavenly, full, and eternal way. The Old Covenant, its laws, tabernacle, priests, and sacrifices were good, But they were limited in their design and purpose from the beginning. That said, they did also point forward to Jesus of Messiah, our great prophet, priest, and king, the only mediator between God and men, truly. 1 Timothy 2.5 By His obedience, He has entered into the heavenly holy of holies, Hebrews 10.1-18, and through faith in Him, we have full and bold access to the Father, Hebrews 10, 19 and following. So now I ask, how did the priests of the old Mosaic Covenant proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? No doubt, some of them proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ with their lips as they read and taught the Word of God and urged worshipers to trust Ultimately, not in the tabernacle, nor in the animal sacrifices, nor in the priesthood, but in the Messiah who was promised to them of whom these earthly things were signs. Some of the priests, no doubt, proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ with their lips. They uttered the promises of God that had been entrusted to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They understood these things because they were true Israel. They were circumcised not only according to the flesh, but according to the heart too. They were the elect of God under the old covenant in a spiritual sense. But my question is a little different. I'm asking how the priesthood, as an old covenant institution, proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ in a shadowy and symbolic way. I have three points. One, through their mediation in the courtyard at the altar of burnt offering. Two, through their mediation at the altar of incense in the holy place, and three, through their mediation in the most holy place before the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement. As the priests, and especially the high priest, moved about the tabernacle amongst the people day after day and year after year, they proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ even in a symbolic way. First, let us consider how the priests proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ through their mediation in the courtyard at the altar 
of burnt offerings. Certainly you notice that I have repeated the word mediation in each of the points of this sermon. What is mediation? Well, it is the act of intervention, intercession, or reconciliation between two parties. If two people are at odds with one another, they may need mediation. They may need a third person to intervene to help them work out their differences. And hopefully the mediator will be successful leading to the reconciliation or bringing back together again of these two people who were once at odds. A mediator is a go-between. A mediator is a middleman. The goal of a mediator is to, is to intercede so as to bring the two parties together again. And I want you to see that the priests of the Old Covenant functioned as mediators. Who were the two parties they mediated between? Answer, God in heaven and Israel on earth. All of Israel did not enter into the holy place or the most holy place. Only the priests did. But when they entered, they represented all of Israel. This is seen most clearly in the garments that the high priest wore. On his shoulder, on his shoulders, there were set two precious stones, one on each side. Can you picture it, brothers and sisters? Picture the garments now of the priests and especially the garments of the high priest. These garments were beautiful. They were glorious. They were elaborate. But on his shoulders there were set two precious stones, one on each side. And on those stones were engraven the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, six on each side. So then, as the priest, as the high priest ministered at the tabernacle, he carried. All of Israel on his shoulders. He carried all of Israel on his shoulders as he went about his work at the altar of burnt offering, at the altar of incense, and in the most holy place once a year. And on his chest there hung a breast piece. And on that breast piece there were twelve precious stones, four rows of three. Each of those precious stones had the name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel engraved upon it. So then, as the high priest ministered at the tabernacle, he carried all of Israel on his chest. That is to say, he bore Israel on his heart as he ministered there. He represented Israel before God and he even represented God to Israel. He stood on behalf of the people of Israel before God and behalf of God before the people of Israel. The priests, as I have said, were mediators, they were middlemen or intercessors between God and Israel under the Old Covenant. I want you to think about what this communicated concerning God's plan of redemption. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we cannot consider these things in isolation from the bigger story that is being told in Scripture. We have to consider these things as one part of a very grand story. What is the story being told in Scripture? It is the story of creation, And covenant, man's fall into sin in the breaking of that covenant. And redemption, first promise, then accomplished by Christ the Lord. And finally, consummation, 
We must interpret this tabernacle, its sacrifices, and its priesthood in the context of that broader story. And I want you to think of what this, the existence of the priesthood, communicated concerning God's plan of redemption. Though it is true that the priests of the Old Covenant were unable to reconcile sinners to God really, truly, and eternally, it communicated that God's plan of redemption would be accomplished through the work of a mediator, someone greater than Moses and Aaron, who would arise, who would mediate between God and man, not only on earth and in a temporary way, but really and truly in heaven and for all eternity. And we know who this mediator is. He is Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. He is the one who has accomplished our redemption really and truly. Now back to the priests of old. Where did they minister primarily except at the altar of burnt offering? And what did they do there? There in the courtyard, on that little mountain, they represented the people before God and God to the people as they offered up animal sacrifices according to the law that was given to them. The blood of these animals atoned for the sins of the people in an earthly way. It made them right before God temporarily and according to the terms of the Old Covenant. They were made right in that covenant, you see, but not eternally so. But this work that the priests did there in the courtyard and at that altar, though it did not take away their sins to the cleansing of the conscience of the people, it did point the people forward to the one who would do that work. This ministry of the priests at the altar reminded the worshipers of the past as the priests ministered at the altar, the worshipers would have been reminded in some ways of the past. It reminded them of the worship of Abel. It reminded them of the worship of the patriarchs at altars. And even of Abraham's worship on the mountain when he offered Isaac up. But God provided a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket. The blood on the altar would have also reminded Israel of the blood of the Passover lamb by which they were redeemed. So imagine being a worshiper under the Old Covenant. There you are in the courtyard and there the mediators, the priests of the Old Covenant are ministering. And, and the sacrifices that are offered up are bloody sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats spread upon that altar, burnt on that altar, a pleasing aroma to God. Your mind would have, or at least it should have, gone to the past to remember these things, these themes that were present in the history of God's working amongst His people. This ministry of the priests at the altar would have also communicated truths to the worshiper concerning the present. The blood sacrifices would have reminded them of their sin and of their need for true forgiveness. The blood sacrifices would have reminded the worshiper of God in heaven and that He is the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The worshipers would have remembered this reality in the presence, God in heaven and their relation to Him now under the covenant of works made with Israel in the days of Moses. But the ministry of the priest at the altar was also meant to direct the minds and hearers of the worshiper, minds and hearts of the worshiper, to the future. 
to that day when the precious and very great promises of God concerning the Messiah would be fulfilled. After all, God announced to Adam and Eve that one of their offspring would crush the head of the serpent. Think of it. There was this great promise concerning a Savior. There was this great promise concerning a Messiah. And who would he be? Well, we know that he would be of Adam, of Eve, that is to say, a human. And the Lord did also announce to Abraham that one of his offspring would inherit the earth and bless the nations. All who had true faith under the old covenant knew that they were not to place their faith in the blood of bulls and goats, but in the Messiah who had been promised to them. Their redemption, their salvation would be accomplished not through the blood of bulls and goats, but by a human, the seed of Eve, the seed of Abraham. When the Messiah came into the world, he too was a priest who mediated between God and man at an altar. He was not a priest in the line of Levi or Aaron, for he was not a priest or mediator of the Old Covenant. That is so important to note. He did not come in the line of Levi. He did not come in the line of Aaron. He was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, who was also the king of Salem. Jerusalem is what should be in your minds who lived in the days of Abraham, long before the Levitical priesthood was ever established. The Messiah was of the tribe of Judah and David, not Levi and Aaron, for he, like Melchizedek, was a priest king. And neither did the Messiah serve in the temple at the altar there. Note this. Christ did not minister in the temple that stood in his day, for that temple and that altar like the Levitical priests, belonged to the old Mosaic covenant. And Christ did not come to mediate that covenant. That covenant was designed to give way to Him and to the new covenant ratified in His blood. Christ is not a mediator of the old covenant order. He is the great high priest and mediator of the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace through which all men are saved, past, present, and future. It is through this covenant alone and through this mediator and priest alone that sinners are actually forgiven and reconciled to God eternally. And it all comes down to the altar and to what is offered there. It all comes down to the altar and what is offered there. Under the old covenant, the Levitical priests offered the blood of bulls and goats upon the altar at the tabernacle for the cleansing of the flesh so that worshipers might be made right with God on earth and under the terms of the old covenant. But the new covenant has Christ as mediator. He is God's prophet, priest, and king who came in the order of Melchizedek. And what altar did he minister at? It was the altar of the cross. And what sacrifice did he offer up there? He offered himself up as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God. The blood of bulls and goats offered up by the Levites could not accomplish this, but they did point forward to the one who could. And all who have true faith in this promised Messiah will have true and eternal forgiveness of sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Secondly, and very briefly, let us consider how the priests of old proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ through their mediation 
at the altar of incense in the holy place. Can you picture the priests of old burning incense on that altar that stood immediately outside of the veil which separated the holy place from the most holy place? Can you picture it? They did this morning and evening. And what did the smoke of that incense symbolize? It symbolized the prayers of God's people. It's Christmas season. Undoubtedly, we are going to read texts that have to do with the birth of Jesus. Do you remember what John the the Baptist's father was doing? He was a priest of the order of Levi. Do you remember what he was doing when the word came to him that he would have a son who would make the way for the promised Messiah? Remember Remember he questioned things and he was made mute for a time. What was he doing when that announcement was made to him? He was ministering at this altar here during the hour of prayer. The people were praying outside and he was mediating between them and God and offering up prayers himself as the smoke of this altar rose into the presence of God. I want you to picture it. Picture the priests of the Old Covenant burning incense on this altar. What did the smoke symbolize? The prayers of God's people. So what then were the priests of old doing when they burnt that incense morning and evening? They mediated between God and Israel in prayer. Christ did this in His earthly ministry, brothers and sisters. He did it often, of course. But you may read of it, especially in John chapter 17. There, we are given a glimpse into the prayers of our great high priest as he interceded on behalf of the true Israel of God, that is to say, all whom the Father gave to him in eternity. John 17 is a marvelous text because we are actually given an insight into what Jesus, the great high priest, prayed for us. You should read it on your own sometime. And what is Christ doing now that he is risen and ascended? He is interceding for his people as our great high priest, the only true mediator between God and man. This is what Paul says in that beautiful and much-loved passage. What then shall we say to these things, he says in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ died, He rose, He ascended, not into the most holy place on earth, that would not be ascent. He ascended into the thing of which the most holy place was assigned, namely the heavenly holy of holies. And what does He do for His people there now in the heavenly holy of holies? He intercedes for us as our great high priest. He ministers at this altar of incense, not the one on earth, but the one in heaven, of which the one on earth is a sign, was a sign. And then we read, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then a little later on in the passage, we have this reply, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You see, we we have this confidence. We have this confidence. 
because of Christ, our great high priest. We have this confidence because he has ministered, not at the altar of burnt offering in the tabernacle, but at the altar of the cross. We have this confidence because he offered up not the blood of bulls and goats that cannot cleanse the conscience of the worshiper, but his own blood was shed, thus accomplishing our real and eternal redemption. He is at the Father's right hand now, and He intercedes for us. The priests of old did a very important work on behalf of the people as they ministered at the altar of incense from on earth. I am not demeaning their work, but I am saying that they pointed forward to Christ who intercedes for us now in the heavenly Holy of Holies itself, the true reality of which the Holy of Holies on earth was a sign. As the priests of old ministered on earth, they did not only do a good thing for old covenant Israel, they also pointed forward to the greater priest to come, Christ the Lord, who intercedes for us now in heaven. Through Him, we, we all have bold access to the Father for the way has been opened up. That brings us to the third and last point, and I again will be brief. Let us consider how the priests proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ through their mediation in the most holy place, before the Ark of the Covenant, on the Day of Atonement. Much of what I have said before applies here too. I simply want you to imagine the high priest of the Old Covenant passing through the veil of the curtain once per year and not without blood. It communicated three things. When he did this, three things were communicated. One, The way into the presence of God was not hopelessly lost after man's fall into sin. Did it not communicate this? The way into the presence of God was not hopelessly lost after man's fall into sin. After all, the high priest was invited to enter in. So, we can see that God had made a way, or at least was making a way. Two, the way into the presence of God was not yet in those days opened wide, after all. Only the high priest could enter in, not all of Israel, and only once per year. Three, the way into the presence of God required the shedding of blood. This too was also communicated. The high priests of old could enter in after offering up animal blood to atone for their sin and the sins of the people. But, and I read now from Hebrews 9.11, but... When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats... And the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, says the writer of the book of Hebrews, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. The mediation of the high priest in the most holy place could not reconcile us to God truly or securely. It could not secure our eternal redemption. 
But his movements in the tabernacle of old did point forward to the one who has accomplished this work, Christ Jesus the Lord, our great prophet, priest, and king, who has come in the order of Melchizedek. He is the only mediator between God and man. May we be found in him, united to him by faith on the last day, For no one comes to the Father except through Him. Let us bow for prayer. Father in Heaven, I pray for those who do not have faith in Christ that You would draw them. May they come to the realization of their sin, of their enmity with You, and of the fact that when they die, if they do not die in Christ, they will be cast from Your glorious and gracious presence, and will experience the torments of hell forever and ever. I pray that you would bring those not in Christ to this realization, that they are enemies of yours because of their sin. I pray that you would draw them to faith in Christ. I pray that you would move them to turn from their sins and to trust in Him, the only mediator between you and us. Father, I pray for those who do have faith in Christ that you would strengthen their faith. May we grow and grow in our understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for us. May our love for you and for him increase. May our love for one another increase. May our obedience increase. Strengthen our understanding, O Lord, of these things and purify our hearts further so that we might live for your glory as your beloved children, upon whom you have set your name by your grace alone. May we be found in Christ, strong, when the Lord calls us home in death, or when he returns. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.